Hi there, astrology lover. It's Amanda here, founder and CEO of Astrology Hub. And I am so excited to let you know that we have officially opened the doors to our flagship membership program, The Inner Circle. The Inner Circle community is the heartbeat of Astrology Hub. For over five years, we've been gathering moon cycle after moon cycle to tune into the cosmic energies and learn how to deepen our astrology practice and transform our lives for the better. Each month, the inner circle is guided by a new astrologer teacher who leads instructional new and full moon forecasts, teaches a mastery class on astrological technique, and is available for our members to ask them questions directly. Not to mention so many amazing bonuses like cosmic updates sent directly to your phone, live new moon intention setting ceremonies, and 20% discounts on all Astrology Hub courses, workshops, and reports. We have some very special astrologers lined up for 2022, including Achuta Bhava, Stormy Grace, Adam Summer, Gary Caton, Michael Bryan, Christopher Enstrom, and more. Don't miss out on joining a private community of thousands of like-minded astrology students. We only open two times per year. Just go to astrologyhub.com slash innercircle22 to learn from the masters and transform your life in the process. That's astrologyhub.com slash innercircle22. I can't wait to welcome you inside. Hey there, and thanks for tuning in. We're going to get to the episode in just a minute, but before we do that, I just wanted to give you a little bit of a background. You see, we recorded this episode several months ago, and it was such a great episode. And Jen is such an incredible astrologer doing amazing work in the world that we decided to invite her to be one of our inner circle astrologers for 2022. She said yes, which we're thrilled about. And so she's going to be teaching a mastery class for our members on secondary progressions. She'll be joining us for the new and the full moon forecast for the Virgo lunation, as well as answering questions that our members have and doing a live chart reading session, just like all the other astrologers will be doing next year. Enrollment is open for just a little bit longer. So if you want to learn from Jen and 11 amazing astrologers next year, now's the time to jump in. Just go to astrologyhub.com slash inner circle 2022. I think you're going to see very quickly why we were so excited to have Jen join us in the inner circle next year. I really hope you enjoy this episode. Well, hello, everybody, and welcome to the Astrology Hub podcast. This is our flagship show dedicated to sharing the multitude of astrological perspectives and approaches, and we connect you with experts and thought leaders in fields related to astrology, all for the purpose of demonstrating how astrology can support you in so many different areas of your life. Today, I am thrilled to be with Jen Zart. And she is making her Astrology Hub debut. We're going to be diving into the astrology of 2022 and what are the major themes and what we have to look forward to and how we can actually prepare for the year ahead. So Jen, I am so happy that you're here. We've gotten to meet in person in Chicago, and I think you were on one of Astrology Hub's very first events. Yes, I was. I was. was that Thanks for 20, having me back. Jen, was that 2015 or 2016? I believe it was 2016. I think it was the second event you ever had. Okay. Yes. And, and I remember being about planetary hours. Yes. Yes. And I remember yeah. being so impressed with you then and, and still impressed with you now. And I was so new to astrology. I remember when you were explaining planetary hours and how you could know little details like when's the best time to get a haircut and when's the best time to have that conversation with your boss. It was like, whoa, I didn't even know astrology could do that. So Mm -hmm. I just, you, you definitely brought a whole new awareness of astrology and what it's capable of that many years ago. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. I'm glad it could be helpful. And I have new research under my belt and I'm hopefully going to share that with you in a way that's functional and useful for your audience today, because I am very excited about the things I've been learning about astrology and my own exploration, because it's never ending. Exactly. That's and another thing, Jen, when I first started getting into this role, seeing how astrologers who had been practicing for decades and, you know, they were still learning and there was still so much more to uncover. So I'm glad that you're going to share some of that with us here today. I did want to read your bio or just give people a little bit of a background on you 
And, but we'll go into your story, which is going to be even more interesting, but I want to do this too. Okay. Right. So Jen Zart, PhD, is an author, publisher, and teacher of cultural astronomy and astrology. She researches the many forms of astrology emergent across human cultures, past and present, with a special focus on early 20th century German culture. She is the founder of Revelor Press, creative director of the Sophia Center Press, and the deputy editor of the peer-reviewed journal Culture and Cosmos. In 2020, she became the senior editor of the Mountain Astrologer, and in 2021, she founded the Celestial Arts Education Library Institute in Olympia, Washington, where she currently lives. I cannot wait to ask you about that. That is so exciting. And Jen, you also were the one who edited the interview that the Mountain Astrologer recently published with me. Yes. I cannot tell you how thrilled I was when I got that that written piece back. And it was like, oh my gosh, Jen did such an amazing job on the editing of that. So thank you for that. Yeah, we have a team too. So I want to give my peer editors credit as well. So the magazine is very much a team oriented effort. um, But it was also amazing to have you with us there as well. And See you share your story with us in the pages of Mountain Astrologer. Yeah, very cool. Okay, so and I'm going to ask you about your new library soon, but let's get your story on how you came to practice astrology, why you focus on German culture with astrology. So many questions and and your research background, all of that. Mm -hmm. So if you can just illuminate us a little bit on where you've come from. Okay, so I was being bad in high school and I got (laughs) grounded. I got grounded. I got grounded pretty badly. My mom said, you can't go anywhere for six months. And I was so upset because obviously you would be right. What did I do? That's a story for another podcast. But suffice to say, my German teacher noticed that I was down. Obviously, you know, like it's a horrible thing to suddenly be a sophomore in high school and then told you can't have a social life. Right. So he said, when were you born? What time and where? And I'm thinking to myself, why is my teacher so interested in this? You know, the next day after school, I get a little piece of paper and it's this wheel. With all these funny symbols on it. And he goes, can you go to Powell's? This is um, in Portland, Oregon, right? And I said, you know what? Powell's Books is actually the only place my mom will take me right now. And he goes, there's a section in the Red Room about astrology. Look for books by this, this, this. Get an atlas, get a book of tables, and get the ephemeris from Calculated from Midnight. And if you have any questions, let me know. And I'm thinking to myself, oh my gosh, this is like very interesting. Why is he doing this, right? And I ended up learning astrology while I was grounded and I never went back. So it turns out that this person was was the founder of the curriculum at Kepler College, which was trying to become the first accredited school of astrology in the United States um, and in the world for the last 300 years in the English speaking world. Eventually, as we go forward in time, Kepler didn't end up achieving that goal. um, But but it sparked something in me, this idea that it made me upset that people who were getting an official education couldn't study astrology, that it was not academic enough. So then he turned my my first astrology teacher, his name's Gary Lorenzen. He turned me on to the work of Nicholas Campion, who was a historian of English astrology. And I thought to myself, well, I'm in German and Nick doesn't speak German, so I'll be the German version of Nick. So I basically, (laughs) then and there at 15, which you must think is like kind of crazy. At 15, I decided I was going to get a PhD in German, make my thesis about astrology so that it would be academic enough, and then become kind of this like person who wanted to legitimize astrology and academia. And over the course of that journey, I realized that The war is not waged in the classroom, right? Because obviously anyone who falls in love with astrology is going to love it no matter where they are. It's not about being in a university. And there's a gatekeeping thing with universities, right? You have to be wealthy enough to afford to have the four-year education. And there's there's a barrier to access. And that was not interesting to me. But when people would say something like, you can't cite that source because it's not academic, what they're, all, what they're saying is it's not peer reviewed and it's not been published in a way that we recognize as legitimate. And so I turned my attention from the academy and teaching as a professor to publishing and making sure that astrologers publish things in a way that is legible by academics so that we never, ever have to hear again. You can't cite that source because it's not academic enough. Wow. That's everything. <laughs> wow. And and have you accomplished that? I mean, are there actual peer-reviewed astrological <laughs> studies being done? Yes. So the Sophia Center at the University of Wales, Trinity St. David is uh, 
an accredited program offering master's degrees in the history of astrology and cultural astronomy. And I work with their press arm called the Sophia Center Press. And we take the research being done by the students and the allied professors there and we publish them. We have at this point 15 plus books and many more on the way. Um, we're reissuing astrology classics like Patrick Curry's study of early modern astrology. And uh, Gary Philipson is an English astrologer who also did a lot of really amazing interviews. And I'm sure you would love to read this book because of all the interviews you conduct. And it's called Astrology in the Year Zero. It's out of print with Flair Publications, but we're bringing it back into print. And yeah, it's basically trying to create a, a problem for librarians to say, hey, there's this whole section of books that don't fit in what is the Library of Congress where, you know, astrology books get hidden in the BF 1600s or the QBs, right? And we have these like little call numbers that, you know, there's like barely a sliver of shelf room. And I'm like, oh, I'm going to give you a problem. Here's 26 books you have to add. And then in 10 years, you know, 56 more. And then they're going to scratch their heads going, something's going on here, right? Some, this is sort of a, a revolution from the ground up instead of the top down, right? Oh, I love you, Jen. This is <laughs> awesome. What is cultural astronomy? So cultural astronomy is widening the definition of when we say astrology, oftentimes we think of this idea of astrology being sort of how we see it in the newspapers, right? If you right. think about just an average person's knowledge of what astrology is. But when this person is planting by the moon, they're participating in a cultural astronomy, right? It's a qualitative relationship with astronomical um, events and and occurrences, right? And so right. a lot of different cultures participate in cultural astronomy without practicing modern Western astrology, right? So it's, a, it's sort of allowing our minds to expand and include more of human practice in the world. And the other thing about cultural astronomy that's interesting is there's this emerging focus on something called the skyscape as opposed to the landscape. Because mm. if you think about being, let's say, in like big sky country, right? If you're in like, you know, the middle of, of the, the West in the United States, you have the ground below you, which you can look at and have a territorial anthropomorphic relationship to. But then there's this dome of the sky. And it's actually also kind of a territory. We don't walk through it. It's not terrestrial as in earth-based, but it is a scape. It is a skyscape, right? And mm -hmm. so focusing on the many things that can happen in that region, I think, is also an important way of just understanding the complexity of what we're even doing when we have our computer-generated star maps. It's like, but that's also a moment in time and space that had a really lived experience, right? Jen, so I sometimes just get compelled to ask this question. And I know this is one that I prepared you for, but I am so curious to know. And if we need to set up another podcast for the, your answer, that's fine. But why do you think astrology works? Like hmm. what, what is the mechanism that's making it work? Wow. That's a big question. I know. I, I wonder... Just, I'm just curious to know your answer at some point. You don't have to answer it right now, but sometimes I just yeah. feel like I need, I want to know what Jen would say to that question. Hmm. Yeah. Well, I do think that there's something in it about the quality of attention. And as people engage with astrology, I think astrology is sentient. Meaning when you hear things like that's not real astrology, it still serves a function. If we think, for example, like about the very earliest newspaper horoscopes, Libra, this month you'll be X, Y, Z, right? That was something that arose with a certain social form that arose, which was a mass public buying literature, magazines, books, you name it. And so astrology responded and, and it evolved and, and met the occasion with its own new form of being, which was helpful for the masses in that way. And it never stopped its more traditional role as being, you know, you cast a complete chart and you have all of these rules of interpretation and you have a significant conversation with someone. So I think astrology itself as a practice, as a way of engaging with the world is, is alive. And mm -hmm. so if you're asking me how it works, it's also about understanding the magical entity that it is too, right? Without, so it's like not... I don't know. I think I'll leave it with that. Just the idea yeah. that it's something that responds to us and we feed it and it feeds us and there's a relationship there. Wow. I love that so much. I mean, it's been such a deepening as at least for myself. And I know a lot of people in our community, 
of that relationship with that sentient being. And I think the more you engage with it, the more you realize that's absolutely true. Just like our planet, Mother yeah. Earth, is a sentient yeah. being. Yeah. So are all the other planets. And there is a way to actually engage with those that cultivates a richness of understanding and nuance right. in that actual, just like you would have with any person. Strive to know a person and understand them, the, the more of a connection that's made there. And then even then, when someone you've known for two decades or more has something happen, a dream or a memory or whatever, and then you have a conversation and you can go, I've known you for two decades and I never knew that. Right. And astrology is doing that to us all the time. All the time. All the time. You know? It's like, yes. Oh, God. I love that. Okay. Thank you. So let's go to 2022. Okay. What do you have your eye on? Like what, when you look at the year ahead, what are you like? Ooh, that's interesting. Let's see how that plays out. Well, I don't have a smoking gun, but I do have an angle because I am obsessed with elemental voids. What does that mean? So once upon a time when I was volunteering at setting up Kepler College's library in Seattle, a book popped off the shelf at me. You know, this happens with astrology books. They just like scream at you and they're like, read me, read me. Call. How many people I've interviewed that say that? The right? astrologers, they're like, a book jumped off and hit me in the head. I'm like, where else does that happen? That's hilarious. But okay, no, for so real. Yeah, no, this did yeah. happen actually at NYU when I was an undergrad and it was an alchemy alchemy book. But I mean, anyway, so these, these things happen. You put, you expose yourselves to libraries. It's a dangerous place. You like get a book on your head. <laughs> Elemental voids. I was like, "Ooh, what's this?" And then the subline, and this was a year before the movie Transformers came out, said, "More than meets the eye." No way. And I'm like, "Oh, what is this, Shirley Meyer? Shirley Lyons Meyer?" So I had to get into it. Shirley Lyons Meyer left us the year before I found this book. So I'm like, "Oh, I'm tearing my hair out." I could have asked her. So basically, her hypothesis was using the the, the sort of modern ten planets, right? So we're including Uranus, Neptune, and Pluto, but we're not looking at any of the astronomical points, right? So we're not looking at your ascendant or your midheaven or your nodes. We're just looking at the planets, right? So she said, if there is a void in the planet placement by element, meaning you have no planet placed in an earth sign, whether it's, you know, sun, moon, Mercury, Venus, Mars, etc., then you actually are exhibiting a mastery of that element and not a deficit. It's not a lack it is a mastery. So in 2022, there are three major time periods with the exception of the moon. So you're going to have to do some of your own astrology after I say this. But there are three major time periods that have a void of planets in the fire element. Yeah. Are you going to tell I bet you've heard never, no one's ever pointed that out to you before. Ne <laughs> never. And I'm like, got my pen ready because I'm like, when? Okay, okay, okay. So you're going to have to calibrate it for your location, obviously. So your global audience, you know, this won't be true in certain places because global south and, you know, Australia is always in the future. So the idea would be between January 24th and mm, the ingress of the sun into Aries, there's a void of planets and fire. The second period would be roughly around April 21st to May 2nd. So there's a little blip of a fire void there. And the last period is another two week period about with uh, October 29th to November 16th. Okay. Now, these are general periods. You have to make sure the moon is not in a fire sign during these stretches ah. of time. So you're going to have to kind of, if I listed all the dates, everybody would stop listening and their eyes would glaze over. So within these three timings, January 24th to March 20th, April 21st to May 2nd, October 29th to November 16th. If the moon is not in a fire sign, then all of the planets are in other signs. No fire. What does that mean interpretationally? A fire void is someone who is actually like deeply inspirational. So anyone in, in your audience who does not have fire in their chart is going to feel completely centered when there's no fire in the sky either. Wow. Right. It's like it's coming home or unlocking a key like, OK, cool. Now I can be myself because I'm not being pestered by other fire situations here. Right. And in a way, anything that begins during these times. So if you're thinking, when in this year should I begin X, Y, Z? Having a fire void in the chart of something beginning allows it to have a mastery of all the inspirational qualities that we give to fire signs, the command of performance, this idea of, you know, just being sort of 
I mean, even health, there's like a protection around health. Any babies born during this time are also going to be part of the fire void generation. And we see this with the slower moving outer planets, right? Now that Pluto's in an Earth sign, we will not have Earth voids from 2008 until it leaves Capricorn, right? So that's been something that's true. But I just love the idea of, of knowing that during these periods of time, there's an absence of fire in the sky because there's something inspirational actually in the air here. We don't need the planets to pick up the slack and give it to us, right? If we could come at it from a perspective of mastery, these are the inspirational moments of 2022. These are the moments where we feel like, oh my gosh, we've just all made it through this portal of Saturn conjunct Pluto in 2020. Now things are starting to, you know, sort of relax a little bit from that like terror basically and we can feel some hope right i have chills all over jen and i have a question for you about how usual or unusual this is is this something that happens often where we're seeing a void of an element or is it something that's relatively unique it's dependent upon the outer planets if you include the outer planets but i haven't done any research to see like quote unquote, how unique this is. This is one of those things I notice about astrology when I notice it, because sometimes there's also a void in two elements too. Mm. That would be more rare, right? Mm -hmm. But it just, it depends upon the transit. So for example, Pluto and Neptune have been in water and earth signs. And so there won't be voids in earth and water for some time while they're transiting those. Uranus prevented a void in fire signs while it was in Aries. So when it went into Taurus in 2018, suddenly fire voids became possible because mm. Uranus wasn't there anymore. So it really depends on how tightly clustered the outer planets are and whether or not the inner planets can line up for it. And I mean, even now, we had a larger fire void actually earlier in 2021. And this, I think, is when we started to see some hope related to like, okay, I think we can say the pandemic was just about a year long until then the fire void ended and it became clear we had to mask up again. And I'm not correlating those dates specifically, but there was a little bit of optimism when 2021 began because it wasn't 2020 anymore. Yes. And we happened to be in the sign of, or we happened to be in a fire void for about four months. That's so um, funny. Yeah. I remember when that, when people were so excited about 2021, I was like, I don't know if it's going to be any better than 2020. Cause I'd already been listening to all the astrologers about 2021. It's like, I don't know if we can really throw a party yet. Yeah. 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 For yeah. sure. Yeah. And then, you know, looking into the wider perspective of 2022 and February 3rd until April 29th, all of the planets that we have in our charts are going to be direct which is actually more unique, I mm. would say, because mm. it's not common, you know, at any given moment, Saturn and, and Jupiter are retrograde for about four months out of the every year. And even slower planets are retrograde for almost five months out of every year. So to have them coincide and have Venus and Mercury and Mars all behave, then we have a nice window of time where from February 3rd to April 29th, all the planets are direct. And so my first thought when I see that is not, oh, everything's going to run smoothly. Because obviously, <laughs> we all have aspects to our personal charts. And so I don't want to promise that's a panacea of everything. But from a magical perspective, that is a really excellent time to be working with planetary magic. Not just not on the level of, you know, is this planet in dignity or not? But if you think about it, all the planets are moving forward. So they're operating on like, you know, their normal gait. They're just behaving in their way, right? They're not doing something with an energy that's a little more withdrawn or somehow functioning backwards than its normal way. Jen, I don't want to make the assumption that our audience knows what you mean by planetary magic. So if we okay. could just take a little diversion into that, what is planetary magic? Well, I'm sure that everyone who does planetary magic will have a different answer for you. But for me, the idea um, and the way that I practice with it is that back to that idea of astrology being sentient, it's a way of engaging with the planets and the planetary energies so that you can have a more sovereign relationship with them, so to speak. So this idea of working with them and not thinking of the sky as somehow a, a sort of untouchable thing, but to realize that the plants that are ruled by a certain planet are actually that planet. And so we can bring the sky down to earth in terms of even what we eat or how we treat our bodies or what remediations we need to make to make our lives better, right? So a planet that's in your chart that is in a, a sort of bad way, right, is a much like a friend who's having 
a, a problem. And so how do you comfort that friend? How do you comfort that planet to help it feel better? And it's a sort of very, um, yeah, an engaged way of working with the energies in your chart, I would say, right? Okay. And sort of thinking about it like, you know, a battery or something, right? So give us a couple examples of things that you can do with planetary magic or, or ways that you like to use it, for example. So personally, I, um, I have a Libra sun and I also have Saturn in Libra. Um, so anyone who's listening and can guess my age, there you go. There's, <laughs> that's old I am. Um, but I have a skin condition called psoriasis, which is predictable given my planetary makeup in my chart. And so I started using a solar medicine called oil of egg. And I make oil of egg and, and it allows my skin to heal, but it's a solar remediation for my son being in fall. Whoa. Fascinating. Okay. Yeah. So you, you figured out what that placement in your chart needs yeah. to, like you said, it's like a friend going through a bad time yeah. to be like sort of comforted and not mm -hmm. as inflamed. Right. And so you use that on your body. Wow. That's mm -hmm. very interesting. Yeah. Okay. So this and the process of making it is part of the remediation as well, right? So you choose the time correctly. Your Sundays and yeah, and then process the medicine. It's eggs, and you basically take it through this alchemical process. So it's a little alchemy in there as well. But I did um, a different planetary magic with the asteroid Vesta this okay. last year, which was the other thing I wanted to talk to you about in 2022 for your readers. All right, let's go there. Um, but you know, the idea would be like, okay, well. I'm basically a traditional astrologer. If someone comes to my classes, they're going to hear traditional astrology for the most part. But as a challenge to myself, I thought, you know, like, why? Why do I have to stick inside that box? Maybe it's time to break out of that box and consider something else. And so with that idea, when I said battery before, the idea of a planet being in its strength when it's at home, for example, in most of, well, for the first four months of 2022, Jupiter is going to be in Pisces before it goes into Aries for a spell. And when Jupiter's in Pisces, it's said to be strong because it's as if it's at home. From a traditional standpoint, Jupiter's the ruler of Pisces. Neptune also happens to be in Pisces right now. So they're coming together as a major signature for the year. But when a planet is at home, it's much like when you're at home. You can kick back. You can sort of be yourself. No one can tell you what to do. But you still have responsibilities. You've got to clean out your gutters. You've got to keep the house in maintenance order. You might have a property tax bill, right? So there's some responsibility that comes with ownership. But you get to do whatever you want, right? And with that strength, if you were to do planetary magic for Jupiter around that time, he's basically super strong. So in the 1500s, Paracelsus, an alchemist, said you can make an oil based on any planet. So let's pretend it's Jupiter for now. And then it's like storing the Jupiter and Pisces energy so that if you need that energy for the 11 years that he's not going to be in Pisces again, you basically have it. And what you do is you smear it on a, a transparent surface. And then anything you do underneath that will let the light of Jupiter and Pisces impregnate it. Wow. Yeah. So I noticed last year that Vesta, the asteroid Vesta, was going to be in Virgo for a long time. And according to Demetra George, Vesta is ruling Virgo or, or is aligned with the sign of Virgo. So at home there. Right. And I thought to myself, okay, if I'm going to meet Vesta, if I'm going to really tune into Vestal energy and do research on Vesta and get to know Vesta and make Vesta oils, which I did, I will observe, I will engage Vesta and see is Virgo truly Vesta's home. And so then I did some academic research and I looked up some of the scholarship on what Vestal virgins really did. And I learned the names of some of the historical Vestals and got a sense of sort of who they were and how they functioned. And then the asteroid like opened up to me. And this was spearheaded a little bit by something that was out of left field. I have a friend named Meteorite Mike and he sent me an email saying he got pieces of Vesta. Ooh. And I was like, oh, okay, I'm going to just get them and see what happens, right? Like, why not? Like, everybody's talking about astrological Vesta, but I am I have, like, in my hand, like, the real deal, right? Wow. And they're little like, little space rocks, you know, and, and they're in little tiny containers or whatever, but, like, they just kind of, the energy, like, blew my house up 
not really, not literally. Um, but it was just like so intense. And I'm like, I have this compulsion to like meet Vesta more, right? So I met actual Vesta and Vesta accounts for 6% of the asteroids that fall onto earth, by the way. Wow. So Vesta is like everywhere because there was a massive impact in the asteroid belt and like blew up the south node of Vesta and then it just comes to Earth all the time. So with these sort of meditations, I was check the lunar aspects of Vesta and I would tune in and meditate and just get my sort of magical life together and, and just see like directly based off of any like observations coming through and all of the things that I could tell, like, what is Vesta really about? And so this is what I want to suggest for 2022. And we can talk about where she'll be. But Vesta represents the fire that must be tended for the state of Rome to continue existing. And if it goes out, then Rome is in peril, right? And so mm -hmm. if we extend that to our lives, in our chart, Vesta is that place that we need to focus on and guard with the same vehemence of having a Vestal order, right? We need six attendants to this one space in our chart and whichever house Vesta is in becomes sacred because it's the altar. And if you have the fire, you can feed yourself, you can keep yourself warm, but if it goes out because you're not paying attention to your Vesta placement, then it's almost like in the airplane, they say you've got to put on your own mask before you help anyone else. So in the conversations I've had with my clients about Vesta, it's so true. If they tend to their Vesta house, it's not so much based in sign, actually, in my experience, but I could be challenged by a colleague. That's fine. The house that Vesta lives in is the place where we have to be self-focused. And I know in our culture, it's a little bit taboo to be self-focused. Like I, we take selfies and we're kind of, you know, doing our social media presences. But but also there's a need for like tuning everything else out and staying focused on that one domain of life to the exclusion of any participation by spouse, child, pet, right? It's really important to say, you know, I really do need this time to myself in this house of my life, right? So for example, Vesta in the third house, this is the friend who says no every time you ask them to go see a movie with you because they don't want to get their mind contaminated, right? They sort yeah. of say like, no, I need to keep my mind free of whatever pop culture thing you're trying to show me, right? And then Vesta in the fourth, this is the friend who never invites you over because they want to keep their home sacred and anybody who comes over to visit might put a napkin on a table that it's not okay and then they've got to clean up and you know it's like they they, they don't want to even deal with that so they keep their home sacred right and does this depend on the house system you use i mean would you recommend that? i think I'm, I'm house agnostic i practice something called the open house system so it would work by whole sign it would work by quadrant based it's really you know as we choose a house system as astrologers that becomes our contact with astrology so you know if you're fluent in porphyry, use it. If you're fluent in placidus, use it. If you're fluent in whole sign, use it. It's okay. I have a lot of other things to say about how system That's mobility. very refreshing to hear. I'm like, wow, that just feels yeah. so refreshing. Nice. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I yeah. mean, there's some interpretational differences between the way that you can talk about a whole sign placement versus a quadrant-based placement. Uh -huh. um, but I feel like that might be too complex for a conversation in 2022. So Jen, yeah. why, why Vesta in 2022 though? Why so the thing is like in a year where we don't have any major exact aspects between Saturn, Uranus, Neptune, or Pluto, and you're thinking to yourself like, well, how can I predict what's going on? This is the calm before the storm. When Uranus enters Gemini, we're going to have some pretty phenomenal things happening in the United States. And up until that point, we need to rest and restore. So the house that Vesta transits through, this is my suggestion, is where we can do some deep cleaning. What did the Vestals do? I learned that they were responsible for tending the fire and creating substances that would enable the clean sacrifice of meat and the clean storage of food so that the entire state of Rome could be fed. Mm -hmm. And so the lack of contamination, when you're talking about virgin, it's not a contamination that's related to sex in that way. It's actually about keeping things clean so that there can be a higher order of fertility. Because for example, if you leave your kitchen super messy, you can't cook a clean meal and make sure that you don't get sick, right? You need to have your food sanitized. You need to have your kitchen sanitized. So as Vesta is going through a house, it's basically saying, hey, let's keep the dust bunnies, like let's get those dust bunnies out of there. Let's make sure everything in this place is actually clear and ready for true expression until it moves on to the next house and does it there. Hmm. So it's a way of sort of a deep spring. I wouldn't say spring, but it could be like a deep cleaning, right? A deep sort of examination of what truly belongs here and what can be 
cleaned up and what can be tossed out and what needs to sort of go in order for this space to be sacred again, right? So it transits our whole chart in about three and a half years. And so as it's going through, it's a time to focus on truly doing a deep clean of that sector of life and honoring that sector of life in the way that Vesta brings that need for focus, right? So by house in natally, that's where your permanent focus should be. You should always set a time for self-focus wherever that is. And then as it transits through your chart, that's a signal to be extra aware of where you can be actively applying some deeper cleaning, right? So if it's going through the 11th, you might have some friendships that are toxic that need to be examined or some goals that are actually outdated that are molding and you need to get rid of those goals because they're truly distracting you from the goal you should be pursuing, right? And so Vesta starts 2022 in Sagittarius and will go retrograde in Pisces in the fall and it won't it won't leave Pisces until the end of the year, right? So it's only one quarter of the signs that it's going through, but it offers us an opportunity, whatever that quadrant of our chart is, to truly do some examination and self-care, getting ready for some of the harder transits that might come over the course of the next few years. Okay, so 2020, 2022 for you is sort of a rest and restore kind of year because there aren't any major ha- aspects happening with the outer planets. Yes. And so, so we're, paying, we're paying attention to Vesta because this is where we can actually have a lot of that rest and restore. Mm-hmm. The house that it's in is very important for you to focus on, purify, make sacred, put some like pure intentionality around so that we're, we're ready for the more intense transits of 2023, 2024. Yeah. And when does Uranus go into Gemini? You mentioned that being when- I believe 2025, but I'd have to get my phone Rock and roll, 2025. Yeah. Okay. And would you say that you believe that's true even with even for those in the United States who's having its Pluto return? Vesta is important all the time, actually. Well, well, well what I'm saying is <laughs> but, the rest and restore um, sort of focus. Would you say that, that that 2022 will be a respite kind of year even for those people in the United States mm-hmm. with the Pluto return? Well, Here's the thing. When we're talking about mass prediction, it's difficult because unique charts will have certain configurations that are going to be affected by the outer planet transits this year. But the Uh, outer planets themselves, from a mundane perspective, not a natal perspective, hmm. aren't making any exact aspects. Hmm. So when you see an exact aspect like Saturn conjunct Pluto, the whole world felt that. And the last time they felt it was in 1982, 1983. But but in this year, the whole world isn't going to be having a mass experience in the same way that we did in 2020. Mm. So it's we going to be individual experiences. Yeah, yes. we're going to individualize our experiences. Okay, that's yeah. interesting. And that because, could be for a country too, right? Yes. Yeah. But I mean, the, the, the tenor of the year is, is not as extreme as we've seen in the past. Even wow. though the United States is going through its Pluto return, that is a very slow and on, ongoing process. There's no quick event when it comes to a transit like that. Right. Right. That's so a, that's a slow simmer. Right? It, but we've been feeling it already. Right. Oh, in yeah. the same way, if you think about the 1960s and, and you know, um, I'm, I'm, I recently read Rick Levine's um, forecast that's coming out soon in the Mountain Astrologer. So this is drawing upon that to foreshadow getting that issue because his is very, very good. But he mm-hmm. did point he points out in that that um, it took a while for the exact conjunction of Uranus and Pluto to be felt and so you can see lead up events to it and then events coming off of it Mm. you know so i mean even when you have a year that's a critical year like the exact conjunction of uranus and pluto or the exact conjunction of saturn sorry yeah saturn and pluto there's elements of leading up to the stress and then elements coming off of that stress and so i think we're getting a little bit of a distance from that exact conjunction of saturn and pluto And we're allowing, like we're, and with Jupiter being in Pisces and no longer in the domain of Saturn, we're going to see in 2022 a a sort of relief, Hmm. actually, right? I mean, I'm I'm hoping that we see relief. Maybe I'm just wishful thinking, but I think the critical time to watch would be um, when Saturn, so when we, March 30th of 2020, Mars conjoined Saturn. That was a really intense moment when the world realized it had to shut down and stop completely. Mars has not touched Saturn since then, and it will on April 4th, 2022. But when it does, it's going to be happening in Aquarius and not Capricorn. Mm. And so I feel like that's going to be a touch point for us to reflect on the shutdown that happened in 2020 and really understand how far we've come, what's been lost, 
what has changed, right? And it's going to be another reset of that Saturn-Mars cycle, which is always a pressure cooker, right? Anytime you have Saturn conjunct Mars, it feels like Mars wants to expand and Saturn's like, no, no, no. And so you have that true pressure cooker sense of things, but but it's in the next sign over now. And Saturn is happier in Aquarius because it's a warmer place. So I feel like there's going to be a different reflection on that pressure cooker experience. And it's not going to be as dire as we had it in 2020. But it will be a difficult time because Saturn conjunct Mars is always a difficult time. And you're talking April, April, early April, 2022. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And Mars, you have your eye on for- Mars retrograde. Yeah. So we start the year with Venus retrograde and Capricorn. So that typically relates to a sort of, it's like the glass bead game. Four years before that, four years before that. And if you wanted to be pedantic, you could say it's every eight years. So eight years before 2022 and so forth. You'll have these repetitions of- stories that develop. So my favorite example of this was Venus retrograde in Aries in 2021 was a 6.8 earthquake in the Seattle area. And they didn't secure funding to repair the damage until 2009, eight years later. And they didn't finish digging the tunnel to repair the damage until 2017, eight years after that. So this was a long process of a city experiencing damage during a Venus retrograde, not having funding happened until eight years later and then not having this actually relates to that because venus was retrograde in capricorn when part of the machine broke that was supposed to dig the tunnel so you'll see certain stories with venus retrograde recur over periods of time and the key with that is to look eight years past eight years past that eight years past that and um on the other hand there's also an upcoming mars retrograde in gemini at the end of 2022 so that is going to be a period for people who have a lot of heavy mutable placements in their chart, meaning Gemini, Virgo, Sagittarius, and Pisces, that axis is going to get rocked by the Mars retrograde. And also people who have Mars retrograde natally will be experiencing the effects of that as well. Because it's a, again, it's like a lock and a key. They're going to feel, oh, hmm, I was born with Mars retrograde. Now I can move and shake a little bit easier because it's retrograde again. And this is normal for me, whereas it's not normal for most of the people who are not born with that, right? Right. Okay. So Gemini, Virgo, Sag, Pisces, if you have a lot of those in your chart, that Mars retrograde period towards the end of 2022, you said it's going to be rocking and rolling. Like what, what do you mean by that? It's going to rock you, meaning like there's going to be some extra feistiness in the air, depending on where it's configured, right? So if it's conjunct the sun for those Gemini folk, it's going to be a really self-expressive time right so mars conjunct the sun especially for female-bodied people can be very charismatic actually regardless Mm. of retrograde or direct but it's mars moving slowly so it's going to be going back and forth over that right and so it's a time to maybe utilize that and and or it could be a period where there's an attraction of um, confrontation because you're trying to put yourself out into the world and the pushback comes right and so just knowing like mars's job is to be annoying if he's not going after a goal, which could also be annoying if you're not the person doing the goal hunting, um, <laughs> he's he's kind of like the factor in the zodiac art- archetypes that show us that, you know, this is what it means to be disturbing, right? Mm-hmm. And so there's going to be some feathers ruffled, right? Okay. In these areas. Wow. Fascinating. If you had to choose a theme for the year, what would you say is the theme? Wow. I haven't thought about it like that, but... Hmm. I would say the thing that kept coming up to me was, you know, we've just gotten through a lot of turbulence with the heavy Capricorn placements and now we're getting Jupiter conjunct Neptune. And I think that that in Pisces, I think that's going to be like a little more of a optimistic experience for the world. And like all of the skirmishes that we're experiencing in 2022 are, are natural human level experiences and not this sort of like extremes that we saw with the lockdowns of the last two years. And so, but there's still some things ahead that are not as, like when Pluto ingresses into Aquarius in upcoming years, that's going to be an intense experience, right? Because any ingress is an intense experience. So the words that kept coming to mind while I was preparing for you was calm before the storm. And I don't think the storm is the same storm as we've been through. So I'm not going to say like, you know, it's like that, but I do think it's going to be a lot more there's going to be a lot more space to be focused on self-healing in preparation for having to gather as a group of 
you know, humanity and, and doing some collective work, right? Wow. Amazing. Jen, this has been so much fun. Before you go, I would love to ask, what do you love teaching in astrology? Like what's your favorite thing to teach? My favorite technique to teach is something from medieval astrology called the triplicity rulers of the houses. Um, and I gave a talk about that in Chicago at UAC in 2018. And it is a technique that allows you to drill in on specific topics in someone's chart and give very specific answers. For example, if someone's asking about their sister or their sister's husband, you can give very specific answers using your client's chart only. So this is useful because when people ask me certain things like, I'm entering my third third of life, should I you know, go into this sector to try to make money? And you look and see which planet's responsible for where they're getting their money in that third third of life. And if it matches what the client desires, you can say, you're right on track, let's do that. Or actually it's showing me that you're probably gonna be better in this sector and not that sector. And you can give proper advice to them to help them live their chart. Another thing that it's useful for is when people want to um, kind of, as what I call like astro spy on their sweetie. And they say, oh yeah, what's going on with sweetie? And it's like, well, do you have their permission to read their chart? And they'll say no. And it's like, ethically, I can't do that. But I can look at your triplicity rulers and see what sweetie's going through right now through your vantage point. And then mm -hmm. they can get a specific answer. But that answer is given based off of what they're allowed to know through their own chart. It's oh, not wow. based off of sort of, you know, looking at someone else's soul. It's more like, hey, from your vantage point, this is what I can see. Fascinating. Right? And have you done research on this technique to, to sort of like do your peer review, your academic research approach? I know that there are different medieval astrologers who use different rulers for different topics, and I'm test driving it with my advanced students right now. So we nice. will actually go through charts every week and we do triplicity rulers together every week because I'm trying to empower them to be fluent with that. And for example, the ruler of siblings is different between the astrologer called Guido Bonatti and the astrologer called Omar. And yeah. so we test drive it and see, okay, what do you think? Omar says this, Bonatti says that. Does this apply in this case or is this, you know, not as applicable? So nice. Oh, it'll yeah. be so fascinating to hear what you all discover. Yeah. So far, yeah. Bonatti's winning. <laughs> Bonatti's winning. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Interesting. Yeah, and more I, accurate. I want to give you an opportunity to talk about the library that you're opening. Yes. Oh, thank you. Um, yeah. So in Olympia, Washington, I am setting up a place called the Celestial Arts Education Library called Kaylee for short. And it is a physical live institute where you can come and study astrology. And it is a research library and a reference library, meaning at the moment, it's non-lending, but we do have some digital access for members so that you could get an article or a chapter at a distance. We will scan that in for you and send it to you. But the idea would be that you actually come to the library and you have everything at your disposal in the history of astrological publishing. Wow. And where yeah. are you getting all these resources? So I recently bought a building in Tumwater, Washington, which is just a 15-minute walk away from Olympia High School. And I'm hoping as we open our doors, we can get youth programming in the oh. mix and just get kids and adults and all kinds of people together loving the sky just as we do. And um, doing even, you know, other cultural astronomical activities like classes with solography where you make a pinhole camera and you can observe how the sun moves across your backyard for the course of six months. Right. Mm. Um, so we're just hoping to bring a lot of these celestial arts to Olympia, Washington, and hope that people will pilgrimage to us to come see the library itself. And so far, I think I kept, haven't actually completed inventory, but I believe we have anywhere from three to 5,000 books. Oh my God. Yeah. I am definitely making a pilgrimage to your <laughs> library and I'm sure tons of people in our community will come as well. Are, are you taking donations? Like I, I know so many people in our audience have so many books and um, at the moment, we're not taking donations of books, but we are happily taking donations of money to help pay the people who are cataloging the books. And we welcome everyone to become a member. Membership is very affordable. And it's a sort of, it's going to be beautiful to see how our online community unfolds, just given like, it's all for the love of astrology books. Yeah. You know? Oh my so. God. It's so good. Thank you for doing that. I mean, it's just incredible. I, I feel like you personally are spearheading so many things that are just necessary in bringing astrology to the next level, you know, and it's like, you came coded with this in you, obviously started getting activated when you were 15. <laughs> Thank goodness you were naughty and got yourself into trouble. 
Thank you. (laughs) Yes. And thank goodness your mom had some like nice boundaries and discipline there. That's good for her. Yeah. Um, And it's just, it's really awesome and inspiring to see you taking like hold of your destiny and, and manifesting so many things here in this and on earth for us to experience. So thank you for doing that. Um, And just thank you for answering that call inside of you. And yeah. Yeah. Well, I'm hoping that everyone comes to the things that are being created, especially the library. Actually, I feel like that is truly my life's work because I want to create the conditions of possibility for you to get spark and everyone listening to go to their next level with astrology and just see how cool our ancestors are and that we get this playground now and it's our turn. So So brilliant. Yes. I, I think it's going to be very successful and I love the focus on the youth as you know, you you dis- discovered astrology when you were in your teens. Can you imagine if more of our youth had this early connection and what they'll be able to do to the field of astrology and the world, really? Yeah. Um, yeah. So brilliant. Thank you. Thank, thank you. you. Thank you. Um, for those of you who are interested in getting more insights on 2022, we are doing a free 2022 forecast panel. So there will be 12 astrologers there talking about the astrology ahead. Um, you can go to astrologyhub.com slash 2022 forecast. That event is free and we would love to have you join us. And Jen, I can't wait to have you back. I feel like a whole thing just on Vesta would be mm-hmm. awesome. I mean, I would the, love that. Yeah. I mean, all the, the little nuances of what you were already starting to share. I feel very deeply connected to Vesta and the idea of the Vestal Virgins and all of that. So I um, would love to hear more about what you've discovered in your research there and also in your applied magical research, which I'm sure the best stuff comes out there. Yeah. Um, again, thank you for joining us and thank you thank for sharing you. your wisdom and your knowledge. And I would love to have you back sometime soon. Thank you so much. All right, Jen, take care. And for all of you out there, thank you so much for tuning into this episode. Thank you for being a part of our community. And thank you as always for making astrology a part of your life. We'll catch you on the next episode. I love the inner circle because it's been a catalyst in transforming my life for the better. I love the inner circle because it has helped me feel into the energies instead of just think about them. I love the inner circle because of the positivity and familiarity that's involved in it, as well as the wealth of knowledge and the broadening depth of the collective conscious that it creates. I love the inner circle because it's run by incredibly intelligent, empowered entrepreneurial women and almost daily basis providing quality content to help guide people. I love the inner circle because it really helps me stay anchored into this collective process of evolution that we're all in together. I love the inner circle because of the welcoming community. Like when I commented, people were like happy that I was there. And all the lessons too, all the organized lessons. I love Astrology Hub because of that. I love the inner circle because it connects me more deeply with my own experiences and helps me reflect on those through astrology. I love the inner circle because it's a family and it's ongoing learning and it's interaction and you're always learning something new and if you go back to the same teacher they're bringing something new each time and it's the ohana it's the family that amanda's created and i absolutely love it absolutely love astrology hubs inner circle membership a global online community for astrology students featuring monthly mastery classes live instructional forecasts plus intimate live Q&A sessions and chart reading demos, all taught by a different world-class astrologer each month, is now open for enrollment for a limited time. Go to astrologyhub.com slash innercircle2022 for more information and to join us today. That's astrologyhub.com slash innercircle2022. Your astrological family is waiting.